You know, I don't think that the kind of grammar of the body approximates the kind of verbal language that we have for it. I think that the body spills over. I think that there's so many ways of being that actually can't be approximated through language. And, you know, that the oral word is always trying to catch up actually to what the body does, right? It's by no means an exhaustive one-to-one. We're starting this season of the Camera Archives podcast by revisiting a session from Camera's Screening Scholarship Media Festival, or SSMF, and it's titled How the Body Knows. This session was a discussion between Professor Jasmine Johnson, faculty in the Africana Studies Department at UPenn, who you heard at the top of the episode, Deborah Thomas, the R. Jean Brownlee Professor of Anthropology and the Director of the Center for Experimental Ethnography, Dr. Jasmine Blanks-Jones, a recent graduate of the Education, Culture, and Society and Africana Studies programs, and Ora Badaki, a PhD candidate in the Literacy, Culture, and International Education program. Each of these brilliant women are dancers and movers, which informs their scholarship and leadership in a variety of ways. During this session, panelists drew from their experiences as Black women researchers, movement practitioners, and leaders to respond to inquiries into what embodied methodologies and practices look like and feel like to them in and beyond the organizations they lead. As you can tell, it's the perfect start to this series. The session started with an audio montage, piecing together a few of the various ways in which the body and embodiment were discussed throughout the conference. Afterward, you'll hear Aura kick off the questions. My like first approach to doing anything is to just do it physically with my body. So that's that's why when I started thinking about this this ocean stuff, I was like, okay, I'm gonna learn to free dive because I I don't I I mean I can read until the end of days, but it's for me like really doing things with my body that I begin to understand understand things. So that's definitely what I was trying to do for the film and and allow the the viewers to kind of put themselves into the shoes of that person or a lot of uh, visibly Muslim women put yourself in that that experience or a lot of uh, racialized people in general uh, have experienced situations of hate crime. The experience of chronic aging for her has been this self-abandonment. Her body, she is being abandoned by herself, by her own body. And it's something that I, I sort of describe as an arthritis more of spirit than of body because that is the need that she uh, most frequently seeks attention to. It's to seek the consolation for that cognitive dissonance. How is memory embodied and sensual that is conjured through the senses? And how can it reverberate through time and space? In finding ways to do emotional, emotionally process things and especially um, moving from the body. And I think working with dancers and uh, interacting with all these different um, movement practices that kind of come from that place of um, moving from within and moving, you know, um, finding that uh, intelligence that that happens when we ask our body to, to kind of address the conflict rather than our heads. When I think about dance or my own relationship to dance, it's always like the idea that you know form sort of shapes us and who we are but that dance is all about this shape shifting that there's always another gesture that's possible um which i think is such a liberating dimension of dance like that there's like it's about it's all kind of about getting unstuck or the possibility of getting unstuck and it's, it's interesting thinking about certain forms like even 
you know, ballet is one form and many other dance forms that have, you know, very specific gestures that are very codified and um, that, you know, like, what does it mean? What does it mean to live a life in, in certain forms? And then to be able to also like shift and, and build um, different forms out of that. You know, the systemic racism and the misogynistic environment that ballet um, has been sort of reckoning with for such a long time. On a personal level, I think um, as a ballerina, you know, our bodies are, we're trained to kind of pick apart what could be different and then how how that runs so deep and kind of like penetrates every part of of my life uh, specifically and i think we we found a lot of commonality in that as as it pertains to being a woman even though those voices were somewhat disembodied uh something that we're thinking about is how uh, an attentiveness to the body oh, yeah. can help us um just making sure we're all muted uh yes help us um sort of get to an understanding where we understand the body as greater than the sum of our parts. Um, and so what we're hoping to do uh, is think about what this looks like in our practice, um, learning from how it's been taken up uh, so far at SSMF, and then also imagine what this could look like uh, down the road for multimodal scholarship more broadly um, and scholarship you know, more generally. So with that, we've come up with a series of questions that we are just interested in, in, in discussing and, and conversing. This is gonna be very lax, but I'm just gonna pose the first question uh, to the panel. And I guess we can also introduce ourselves as <laughs> we're answering. Jasmine introduced herself. My name is Aurel Lua-Budaki. I am co-director of Camera this year. And I'm going to ask, um, how do your movement practices show up in your work? How do your embodied sensibilities inform the ways you approach your teaching, scholarship, and leadership? Embodiment is really central to, to my work. Um, you know, I think it's, and it's not only because I, I write and think about dance. I think that there's actually a lot of dance scholarship that is not so invested in embodiment, actually. And so for me, embodiment helps me think through the ways that the body knows um, and speaks its own language. And I do that, although I write about dance, but also simultaneously trying to resist the kind of anxiety of trying to put dances down, right? Or, or write, describe dances well or perfectly so that someone can get that vision. You know, description matters, but there's also some kind of, um, I think, importance and respect of letting go to be able to just think about what the body is able to do on its own terms. And sometimes that exceeds at least my capacity to, to think through that. So one example, for example, I'm thinking about um, my my book, which is a, an ethnography of West African dance and dance classes. And, you know, there's a way that I can put language down to a choreography of moving down the floor. There's a way that I can describe Yankadi and what that choreography is and the like soupiness of the movement and the relationship between the dancers and the drummers and all of that, right, that constitutes that dance floor. But unless I'm inside of it doing it as well, Right, I, 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 that gives me a certain kind of access to think about actually where my body fails at doing something well, where I can't be inside the rhythm, where I'm bumping into other people. I'm able to kind of see and hear in a different kind of way. And also I think understand the ways that black women specifically talk about dance as being a way that they can launch 
into this other realm, right? That is not accessible to me because I'm not in that body, right? And wouldn't be accessible to me dancing down the line or looking at them from, you know, as a, as a wallflower. But there's something about, I'll just say to, 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 to sum up that, you know, there's something about, I think, putting your body on the line and being inside of rhythm, being inside choreography that explodes, I think, dance studies for me and gets me um, a little bit closer to realizing actually how starved we are um, around Black women's practices of, um, of joy, ecstasy, and also, I think, choreographic rigor. So much of what you just said totally resonates um, with me, but in like, in very different ways, you know, as somebody who danced for so long professionally, I actually never wanted to write about it, you know, and um, John always used to ask me, well, why don't you do more dance ethnography? And I think it was because dance was really always for me a portal you know, sometimes a portal to the kind of joy and ecstasy and togetherness and freedom, certainly that you're talking about in so far as one experiences that in different settings, whether it's on stage with other people, really feeling a, a, a piece of choreography going to a next level, or it's, you know, in a club or going down the line in Haitian dance class or, you know, everything just clicking, those kinds of things. And so, you know, as an individual, it sort of helped me to enter new spaces, you know. But then later, when I was performing with Urban Bush women, it also then dance also became a kind of portal toward broader projects of social and political change, you know. So it was the the, the tool that we used to access these other forms of consciousness raising or other ways of being together or ways of reducing tension or anxiety or conflict within communities or ways to teach literacy or, you know, so embodiment then became this other thing, you know, it was still something that I loved to do personally, but also it then served some other kind of social purpose. So that's what I ultimately ended up studying, right? Um, and now that I don't dance so much um, outside of my living room, uh, which I guess is everybody's situation over the last year and some, um, <clears throat> you know, I find that that sensibility around a kind of embodied way of knowing also enters into my film work now. I mean, I think that people have told me, and I can also see it, that when I'm editing film, I'm really editing with an eye toward the embodied dynamics. Sorry, it's a motorcycle festival on Broad Street right now. Um, the embodied dynamics of what is happening in, in space. And I think it's because I'm always attuned to them. That's where my camera eye is drawn in the same way that that's where my eye is drawn. So I think that it shapes um, a looking practice also, and therefore also an analysis practice um, beyond just, you know, what body is doing what, in what way, in what space, and toward something else, like what is the intention behind the particular gesture? What is the feeling we're going to produce by 
um, lingering on a series of movements or a way somebody is using negative space with their bodies. Or, you know, I, I find that those are things that always enter into my, um, my scholarship, my film as scholarship, but, um, but also I think generally just an approach to life itself. Thank you so much for that. I remember uh, when I first started at Penn and part of an assignment for one course was to interview a few professors that we wanted to learn more from um, in order to learn how to just interview people and to practice our qualitative methods. And Dr. Deb Thomas was one of those people that I interviewed. And I remember uh, part of our discussion, we were talking about your children and you said, oh, I want my daughter to do gymnastics because it does all the body stuff that she needs. That's good for her development. And um, I just, I think about that a lot because it's actually shaped a lot of the way I approach my own work in education. So I, um, I'm looking at how young people use their bodies to create space for themselves as citizens um, in the context of Liberia and West Africa, which is fraught with all of these international uh, ways of rethinking citizenship practices. Um, so I'm really, concerned with what it means for them to come together with their bodies to tell stories that might be vastly different from the stories that are often told about them, uh, from their elders, from uh, people outside of the place that they consider to be uh, their home or their national context, and uh, how they can use their bodies as, as leverage to show something different that can't be refuted in the same way as if they were to put it down in writing or if they were to even make a song about it. So my work, it, uh, it, it, it does those things. It looks at how young people are using their bodies to make claims about um, what they know and how what they know is of benefit to their society and how that positions them differently as people who uh, should be heard in some cases and in different ways than is the norm. Um, and then on another level, uh, with my own positionality in that space, um, my body becomes extremely important um, and how my body interacts with the young people that I work with and what those differences, uh, how they show up and how they show up as different forms of power um, and how that power is negotiated and renegotiated time and time again. And then how that changes for me and this is a panel about black women moving as a black woman in an international development space where I am perceived in so many different ways. Um, so it's just become a phenomenal uh, way for me to think about how, um, along with the youth, how we intentionally use our bodies to convey certain kinds of um, need, certain kinds of authority and um, what reciprocity looks like in that way. I'm gonna build on what you were saying, Jasmine, around uh, showing up, how we show up in spaces, I think, I, uh, I'm thinking a lot about uh, Jasmine Johnson's <laughs> note about uh, the work of Black women and how um, multifaceted and how heavy it could be and how many hats uh, we have to wear. And I find myself uh, sometimes lost <laughs> in, in all of that. And so, um, Deb, when you mentioned portal, I think for me, my movement practice is is a portal, but it's, it's a portal back to myself um, and back to 
uh, something that feels real, something that feels natural. And so uh, I'm, I'm appreciative of that. And I think, you know, my, I, I don't write about dance um, and I don't sort of research dance in, in an explicit way, but I think, um, you know, if I see myself in these concentric circles and like, you know, there's me and then there's my profession and there's my research and they're all sort of working together, trying to always center the, the tool that helps me navigate these spaces in the most authentic way. I look at how young people are working towards food justice, their critical and creative literacy practices, and you know the body uh, and critical food literacy. The, the it's mediated by the body. Everything you know, your relationship with land, with food, with each other, um, with community. Uh, the body is a central focus, and I find myself, um, you know, this being fertile ground to think about this, uh, to the think about the ways in which the body um, can inform. Uh, how we learn, how we think critically, um, thinking about the body as text, um, how we read into um, and how we're inaugurated or how we are uh, brought into spaces, learning how to prepare food, how to harvest food, how to uh, advocate um, for, for, for uh, food justice or food sovereignty. Um, so yes, I mean, it's, it's definitely felt a little bit periphery um, at times, but I think in these sorts of opportunities where I get to center that, um, it, it grounds me um, and just makes me more excited about the work. That's so cool. Um, I think the next question is mine, right? Uh, and that is, um, does your body know differently? Right. In other words, do the things that you learn from your body present themselves in different ways from the things you learn some other kind of way, reading or writing? I'll just say, yeah, yeah, abs absolutely. Um, I think why I've, um, I've, I've been thinking about your question, Deb, since we, since we shared them. And I was like, why is this question so hard for me to enter? And I think in part because I have to do so much undisciplining of my body in order to actually be literate in it again. Right, that like, it like from the start we're we're taught how to um, how to behave, how to take up space if space is even something that we're permitted to take up. Um, you know, we're we're told explicitly or not that there are ways to be loud with your body, to be you know appropriate with your body, and I've had to you know alongside of that training that I think, you know, is, is we all inherit whether or not we want to, to a certain degree, also having a certain kind of respect for um, dance technique and continuing to choose that kind of bodily training that, you know, it's, it's an interesting parallel of having so much regard for doing something well on my body, right, inside a particular movement repertoire while also being attentive to the ways that I move in the world that are, that are so often um, inherited language for, for how I should move. And so I think that anyways, when I, when I dial that down and dial up that certain kind of regard or you know, um, a real sense of place that I find in, inside of movement, inside of dance, then yes, I, I arrive at not only answers for things, but new questions when I'm actually attentive. I was, um, I'm appreciative of 
of that unfolding. <laughs> um, and I think, uh, you know, you mentioned the word literate and I, I think about that word a lot, how to, what you have to learn and unlearn uh, to be literate, you know, in, in certain spaces. Um, and I also see uh, Dr. Vasudevan's on the call and I know she's written a lot about embodied literacies um, and she talks about the importance of uh, recognizing the sort of local and daily texts of the body um, and how students are engaging and enacting criticality in their embodied actions um, in ways that may not register in, in uh, traditional academic spaces. And I think for me, I'm always, um, I'm always sort of floored by how much the body knows subconsciously and or beyond consciousness. Um, and so for me, I think like just recognizing uh, the different ways you can know and the different places knowledge can live. And so I think to your question, you know, how does the body know differently? I think just the prevalence of it not having to be conscious, uh, but it knows, um, yeah. This was such an exciting discussion and like all of the different points. I'm like, oh yes, that, but I'm gonna just keep it small to one particular, oh yes, that. Um, <laughs> I think a lot lately about um, emotion and uh, sensory knowledge. So like sometimes people talk about feeling and like, oh, emotions, well, not just that, but actually the touch of things, the way that things that touch your skin and your body feel and what how your body reacts to those kinds of things. So in our theater work, a lot of times we explore where emotion lives within the body. And I work with young people in Baltimore and in West Africa. So um, we've actually had great discussions about the differences and how people perceive that. So like, where does joy live? And in the US, they're like, it's here, it's in my heart, it's in my chest, I feel it here. And in West Africa, a lot of our kids are like, it's in my feet, like when I'm happy, I move my feet. And like, I, it's something to do with like, feeling your feet against the ground and the, the lift and the spring that comes from moving your feet. Um, so it's just so interesting to think about how bodies know things differently across different bodies and different uh, cultural contexts, um, but that the body itself does come to know and understand differently maybe than picking up um, a, a book or watching even a film. Um, but the, the body can understand and uh, take in certain kinds of information and share that information um, in ways that feel different emotionally as well as uh, to the touch. There's a certain kind of um, anticipatory knowledge that I think registers in the body very differently from how it registers in the mind, um, perhaps. Like I think about how, how my body anticipates a fall or anticipates someone else coming toward me or, you know, like the ways that having been trained in the body for so long in certain kinds of ways, it actually knows things before, you know, my conscious mind knows it. it's sort of one of the things um, you were saying or um, earlier, like the ways that um, the body knows differently in some ways because it can anticipate differently, I think, and it can read a surrounding from more than one angle, you know, um, because we're feeling things from more than one angle in our bodies.
I'll offer my question, but uh, maybe I'll make it even more specific because I feel like so much of what we've already talked about got got to some of it. And so I'm I'm wondering if we could think a little bit about um, the importance for you um, of of thinking about embodiment, privileging embodiment um, as you know, black women in the academy. Um, and maybe even more specifically, how you think about that with your own teaching. Yeah, I'll just say that, um, you know, my tendency is just always to forget that other people don't care about this, you know, <laughs> because I always feel like, Oh, there's so many people around me doing such amazing work. You know, all of you in camera, all of the faculty from the different schools around Penn who have been involved in the Center for Experimental Ethnography. To me, that's the norm, you know, and I forget until I get to some other kind of space and people look at me cockeyed and I'm like, oh, right, not everybody imagines that knowledge should be collaboratively produced through a participatory method that's embodied, you know? Yeah, I think I came up into academia thinking it was normal because of the spaces that you've, you've created. Um, I came to camera because I took the visual ethnography course uh, with uh, John, actually no, with Stanton actually, and, um, and Amit. And um, I, really didn't know I like didn't have an interest in film I didn't know what multimodality was um, but I knew that these are people who were thinking about um, ways to make sure that the work we were doing was relevant and necessary um, and inclusive and accessible to people that weren't in our classes I think there was in 2019 SSMF there was the alumni panel and I think Matt talked about the the need to um, center that, like the political uh, aspect of what camera does and the pedagogical aspect, um, not in a way that's prescriptive and not in a way that's sort of neoliberal skill sets, you know, like now you can make a film and now you can do this, so put it on your resume. But, um, you know, how do you do these things in ways that feel, um, uh, that bring life um, and that sort of open up uh, new avenues for discussion. And so as I'm thinking, you know, Bethany's on the call too, we've taught, uh, we've taught multimodal methods at, uh, at the School of Education, and that's sort of a running tradition. And so how do we expand on that? Uh, but it's just this, I, I'm seeing now that there's all these seeds that have been planted, um, you know, to, to sort of uh, make it so this is fertile ground for, for the rest of us to grow. That's awesome. I'm actually going to answer your question again about the teaching part leading into our final question, which is about uh, participatory knowledge and collectivity and what all this means for shaping how we think about movement and multimodality, um, which we've answered in a few ways. But um, I taught a course in the fall in the Master of Public Health program, and I was able to bring in my theater practitioners, collaborators from Liberia to co-teach that course with me. And um, half of the class was uh, a workshop essentially. And the um, latter half of the class became a space for really deep uh, 
just interrogating the text we were reading about how public health communication is done in international context and letting the Penn students hold that up to their experiences working with these local young people from, uh, from Africa who are living in Philadelphia. Um, so thank you for lifting the question about what it does for our teaching. I, I hope to have more experiences teaching in that way um, because I think it's important for uh, for even people who are doing the teaching to realize that a lot of the teaching comes as you learn and that that whole process is also collective. Um, but I would like to just pass it back to all of you. What are your experiences or thoughts about how this collective way of, of doing and creating uh, fosters new and different understandings about movement or multimodality? Um, I'll, just, I'll just say really quickly that um, I, Jasmine, I take such inspiration from just the innovation around teaching and collaboration. It's just extraordinary. Um, and I'll just, I just want to lift that up. And one thing that I'm also reminded of in, in what you said, also having the privilege of you having guest taught um, and done a done workshop in a class that I was teaching here at Penn that like, I think, um, passing the doors wide open to other people who um, are and are not at the institution at the university is also really important and to be intentional about spreading resources. Um, I, I know that everyone doesn't have, you know, a certain kind of equal access to the same pots of, of funding and such. And also, um, I, I find that there, there are typically always ways to be able to um, extend an invitation for someone else to be able to be in that room and to um, for students to be able to experience that and, and also the, the professor, whoever's class that is, um, because um, I mean, I feel like I'm always, I'm always really transformed by every time I teach and learning something new um, about how to be with others in um, a kind of rigorous and ethical and, and, um, and dare I say, loving way, um, because I do feel really strongly, right, that teaching is a certain kind of love practice. So I think that the more we can kind of invite folks in um, and to, I think, offer more voices into the room that maybe would not be there and to also compensate them. Yeah, I guess um, the only thing I would add, I think, is that it's it's those experiences, I think, when, you know, a Penn student in Jasmine's class comes into contact with other teachers and other students, other learners, or, you know, or someone is exposed to the work of an artist uh, thinking through a new project they're doing, or um, someone is brought into the practice of filmmaking for the first time or something like that. To me, it's, it's those um, experiences that uh, really move people. And, um, and I mean move, you know, in the heart way, but also in the, in the what is possible in the realm of knowledge way.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Camera Archives podcast. You can follow more of Camera's work on Twitter and Instagram at Camera Pen. That's C-A-M-R-A-P-E-N-N. This episode was produced and edited by me, Ajme Truss. And our music is Smooth Day by Ketza, available at freemusicarchive.com. Our website is camerapen.org, and you can listen to our next episode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. 